and he's on it. And it's a beautiful day for racing. Okay, well, here we go on the uh, reviewing the, I was going to say final episode, but we're going to do, we'll, we're going to do another one here in the next couple of weeks. But anyway, final race of the season at Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Huge event, huge IndyCar event. Always, you know, yeah, usually in the second sp- biggest to the 500. Yeah, usually run in the springtime, but this year, um, the grand finale. Yeah. Didn't look like it. You know, having run it at a different time of year really hurt attendance in any way. Place still looks pretty packed. Yeah, I never really didn't really look at the crowd much, but it's always a big crowd there. I mean, I remember going to it back in the day. I used to, I've probably been to that a handful of times, but it's been it's been twenty years at least. That was a different era, obviously, but huge crowds back then. It looked like good crowds probably all weekend, Friday and Saturday included. Yeah. Well, I was geeking out a little bit after the race. I, I, well, not after the race, after qualifying on Saturday, I was just kind of looking at old footage on YouTube and, you know, checking out kind of the different track layouts throughout the years from when Formula One raced there and then how they changed it when uh, Kart started racing there and everything. So, yeah, huge historic event. Yeah, so when I went, the, the layout was different. They didn't have that fountain section. And... um I wish I would have looked at it myself and just reminded me exactly the details, but it was similar. I mean, starting from um, the back straight to the start finish and beyond is identical, at least from IndyCar. Mm-hmm. I think Formula One was a little different even than that. But um, this new, yeah. I was going to there's, there's some good onboard footage of Formula One in like the late seventies, I think. And they used to have like a, steep downhill section of the track that isn't there anymore and probably hasn't been used for a long time. But yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to go check it out on YouTube. And I remember in our introduction, we claimed that we were going to have some other features on these, like a classic race suggestions on YouTube, driver interviews. Didn't quite happen, but anyway, plan on doing this again next year, right? So yeah, hopefully we'll get it. Yeah. Get everything added in. Uh, Definitely. 
yeah, another strong race, I'd say. I decided not to bet on this one. I tweeted what I was thinking about, but I actually did really well on the Formula One race. I won a bunch of money, and I figured I'd just kind of relax and not stress myself out with gambling and just kind of, you know, enjoy the race. What, you know, just let it play out and enjoy it for what it is rather than having to obsessively cheer for somebody to win or to win me some money. I personally did not think Herder was going to do it. I think in hindsight, it obviously, you know, well, in hindsight, obviously it would have been smart to put money on Herder because we all know he won the race. But um, he led every single practice section, um, first practice, second practice, and morning warm-up. And I didn't see what happened to him in qualifying. Somehow he wound up in 14th. But even then, I didn't think that he was going to be able to get all the way to the front from 14th. I just kind of, you know, I assumed that if the race had run without any full course yellow or with minimal full course yellow, he just wouldn't have been able to get there from that starting position. And I generally don't like to bet on something that requires you to like root for full course yellows to interrupt the race. So I figured I'd just lay off entirely. I kind of liked Pagano, but I'm glad I didn't bet because he didn't even, even wind up on the podium. So, so yeah, I don't know. I think it was probably smart to lay off of this one. Yeah. Well, we know what happened. We know the final result. We'll never know what would have happened, though, if it would have stayed green. Something tells me he still would have had a very good chance of winning the way he cooked through those first few laps and, you know, yeah. gained all those positions. So, anyway, really, though, this last race was everybody wants to get a win. Every position counts, no matter what time of year it is. But really, this was about the championship. So it was really just down mm-hmm. to three drivers. Obviously, going into the weekend, Polo had the best chance with, I think, a Pretty big, what was it? A 35-point lead. 35-point lead, yeah. So, you know, that definitely affected the way he approached it. I mean, keep forgetting. I, I mean, I guess I've talked about it in the last two races, but he this is the first time Pelot's been at any of these tracks on the West Coast swing. So he's not That's listed crazy. as a rookie. I don't think they list him as a rookie, but he's never been to any of these tracks. So, you know, yeah. for him to test the limits and not go over the limits like a lot of people did, end up in the wall. I mean, the guy, you know, and still be really fast. I mean, pretty amazing. So, but my guess is that that his, maybe his approach didn't change. I don't know, going into the weekend. But um, he was not going to take any crazy risks. He didn't need to. And I guess the yeah. opposite opposite was true for Pato. And then Newgarden just had to win and keep his fingers crossed. So, um, right. Yeah, I mean, it actually... I don't think, I'm sure he was maybe being a little bit more conscious, Polo I'm talking about, with the championship on the line, but it really didn't seem to, you know, it seemed to go like just about any other race weekend has gone for him where he qualifies well in the top 10. In this case, he was he started back in 10th and just quietly moves forward throughout the race, does everything right, and then winds up, you know, quite a few spots ahead of where he started. And so that's exactly what he did this time around also. And it was, yeah, it was great. Very, very deserving championship. Yeah, I think he was, I think he, at one point it appeared to me that he was being conservative when the announcers were talking about, he, he was looked like he was getting sort of impatient to get around Hinchcliffe after the first set of stops. Mm-hmm. It looks like it was, um, well, maybe in the middle of the race, second half of the race. But really, I think that was the more conservative move because Hinchcliffe was backing him in to these, the, all the, the traffic behind him. I think making a pass on a slower car at that point was actually the more conservative move than just sitting there. And, um, you know, he had to get by and get clear and make sure that, you know, he wasn't getting harassed from behind. (laughs) 
Yeah, and the two cars behind, you know, we'll get to this when we get to this part of the race, but they were Pagano and Grosjean who are harassing drivers, so to speak. Exactly. So, so. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was just another classic. We say classic. This is his second full season, so it's kind of hard to say that, but it's just a calm, steady drive from Palau. And, yeah, all around interesting race. I thought it was cool to see Castro and Evans starting third. I was actually quite surprised by that. I would say Rosenquist starting fifth, Hinch seventh. Those were both impressive qualifying attempts as well. And then I already touched on it, but Herta starting 14th was a little bit of a surprise. And I didn't do my homework to look up what exactly happened. Um, and I didn't even realize that Charlie Kimball was in this race until I went to, to do the debrief and look up the results and everything. Um, and then it hit me that he had quietly entered as the 28th car with Foyt. It's only a second entry of the year. But Castro Nevis third, Rosenquist fifth, Hinch seven. I think those were probably standouts of qualifying, uh, you know, before we get to the race. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree. And then Sutter on the flip side, you mentioned Ross. I think you mentioned Rossi. Erickson back in 17th, which is a little out of character. VK mm-hmm. back in 24th, which even though he's he hasn't, he's been sort of stuck back there for the last, I guess half of the season. It's still sort of a shocker to see him back there in 24th. And then Harvey in 25th was also surprising, especially given the Castro Nevis was almost, you know, almost on the front row uh, yeah. being teammates, but i um, not sure what happened there. These qualifying sessions, you know, they're, they're pretty intense. And uh, one thing goes wrong. I know people were kind of glancing off the walls a little bit, trying to extract every single thing out of the car and ends up, mm-hmm. um, you know, can end up hurting. That's what happened to, to hurt, I think he bent a rear toe link, and, and uh, his last few laps, he just didn't have the the car running straight. So, yeah, um, yeah and then uh, I guess ask you the magic. The magic sort of ended. He started dead last. I'm not sure what happened there, but yeah, um, yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned Kimball starting 20th, pretty solid after not being the car, and that boosted the car count to 28. So the car count continues to rise. Yeah, and. Um, I think all the IndyCar fans are happy about that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's great to see that many cars taking the grid. I think that just goes to show that financially, um, you know, being a team owner is very doable and an attractive prospect. So anyways, that brings us to the race. So, you know, the start of this thing is the last corner, you know, the hairpin being as slow as it is, I think it's really difficult to get into formation because you really only have Leader only has about a hundred and and I guess also it has to do with the fact that the start finish line is so close to the exit of that corner rather than being further down the straight. They really only have what, like a hundred yards or something before they're just going to stand on the gas and go. So they called it out on TV nicely, which was really that like the Firestone fast six were the only ones that were able to pack up and they kind of pulled away in a tight pack. But then otherwise the race really started for everybody else in the last corner and the second to last corner and everything. Cause they were taking those hot with the green flag waving. And, uh, it was still a frantic start though. Herta, you know, before we even get back around to the hairpin where the first incident happened, Herta makes up two spots. Pagano is on blacks. He's the only one up there. Everybody else around him is on reds. And so he loses two spots on the first lap to Rosenquist and Grosjean. And a word in the first corner goes deep, deep on the brakes. And uh, I don't even remember who he was making the move on, but the move itself definitely stood out. Yeah, and the other thing that stood out to me was that the f- the first six guys, just the first three rows, left everybody in the dust. 
So yeah. the fast six were kind of off on their own until those stragglers came bombing in there, uh, award. And I forget who else came in hot, but I couldn't really see, I didn't really see the other cars coming down the straight and I, I didn't have time to go back and review the start. I know you like to watch those in car cams. Those are awesome. Um, yeah. but yeah, I just, you know, was pretty much focused on the front, pretty intense as usual. Yeah, I actually just watched the in-car cam. They, as we record this, they just posted it a few hours ago. And uh, I, I couldn't even tell how many, like, you know, that's how I knew that Herta moved up two spots because if you go by just the lap chart, it includes the spots he made up in the incident. So it's hard to tell what all was done before that. But he was ready to go from the start, and I don't think that surprised anyone because, you know, he was just, he looked to be fast, and I think fourteenth, uh, starting 14th was certainly an anomaly. But that brings us around to the hairpin where we get a kind of dinky but very consequential incident. Yeah, I mean, all the way around the track, it's so tight. Again, we're always talking about how intense and competitive this is and wheel to wheel. And a lot of the passes, you almost have to just kind of muscle by and bang through. And on cold tires, it's slipping and sliding. It's hard to know exactly where everybody's going to be, You know what your break point should be when you're stacked up. So mm-hmm. it's easy to point a finger at Jones. I don't know. I, it's not, the, it's not the first time it's been him either. So, um, but I would say it was, yeah. you know, just really tight quarters and man, you know, he ends up, um, I forget who he's initially hit, but run into clips award. So to his right. credit, yeah. he's making the move on Hinchcliffe and, um, he, you know, he's deep enough on the brakes and he gets far enough alongside that Hinch sees him there and leaves him room. But that also means that he's aiming for the apex at a uh, shallower angle, and he's coming in a little bit hotter to beat his to the apex. And so he clips Pato with his nose, which spins Pato around. And we don't know this until a few laps after they go green, but it actually also winds up breaking something in the um, right rear suspension. But then that causes a whole stack up of people trying to avoid him where, uh, uh, you know, Hunter Ray slows down. I think he clips Pillow, and um, Herta actually kind of goes up over the back of him and sort of catches a wheelie, almost you know, almost like up to a smaller extent what Erickson did in Nashville. And both those guys wound up winning the races later on. So maybe catching a wheelie on the first lap is some sort of good omen. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the benefits of a spec series is not only is it close racing, but the cars we mentioned that they're, they're built to withstand, you know, you're, you're not trying to shave every little piece of weight and all that. And so since you have to use standardized pieces, they can require that they're built stronger. And and, uh, so these cars can, they can withstand a surprising amount of banging depending on what, what angle, you know, they get hit at. If you hit the bodywork from behind or something like that, or the wings that they could, they're, they can hold up. I mean, you know, if you hit suspension pieces, then they're going to bend and break. But uh, generally, the cars, yeah, it's been it is sort of shocking. I mean, Herta was did a wheelie again, and and uh, yeah, you mentioned Erickson. That's right. So I don't know if it's an omen, but it's pretty cool that the cars can handle that kind of abuse. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Pelosi had a decent amount of contact, as did Herta. Obviously, he caught air. But neither of them had to pit for damage or anything. It was really just a ward who wound up dropping out of the race. And then Hunter Ray got his side pod damaged. And then I think that wound up cutting down a tire later on in the race and damaging it even more. But they're certainly durable. 
Sato just every single time it seems like there's a first lap incident, he's ready to pounce. And so he slips up the inside of this incident when I think this is, you know, he kind of comes in at the right time where after a word gets spun, he's facing backwards, but he lets off the brakes and kind of rolls out of way, out of harm's way, you know? And just as he's rolling out of harm's way, Sato is like kind of looping around, you know, the tightest possible radius through the corner to get through the inside. And he goes up like five spots, just cutting through the inside of people. And um, Erickson is right on his tail and follows him through. And I think also gets four spots. Um, And then somehow in the back of the pack or towards the back, Bordet winds up stuck back there and stalls. And so that's ultimately what brings out the yellow. I didn't really see how that happened, but I got to give a shout out to Sato because he did exactly the same thing in Portland. And I'm sure there's been other instances that I don't recall immediately where he's done the same thing this year. And he just always seems to take advantage of these first lap incidents. So yeah, the early yellow, it doesn't take long to clean up. There's a couple guys top up, Ray Hall. So, you know, we didn't talk strategy. Let's go back to that. Two years ago, they ran 90, sure. a, a 90 lapper. Okay. This year's only 85. So um, five laps less, but I looked at the, before the race started, I went and looked at everybody's, um, you know, every single person started, uh, stopped three times. And mm-hmm. there was a yellow in that, but I just assumed just five laps shorter that this was going to be a three stopper. Not sure where I was going with this, other than that these early toppers, Ray Hall included, with just you know three laps and I guess a couple parade laps uh, on their tank, topped up and and at this point, you know I thought that maybe it could be a two stopper. I don't know what you thought, but it took me a while to realize that that these guys were going to go two. And it's interesting that you say that because I just going into the race, I figured part of the reason I didn't bet on her is I figured it would be a straightforward two stopper with narrow windows had it stayed green. And therefore it would have been, you know, it would have been tougher to work uh, the timing of what tires you're on and when, you know, around, you know, tougher than it is in a three stop race where you have much wider windows. So that was part of the reason why I didn't bet on him is because I was thinking straightforward two stopper the whole time. Okay. All right, so those those early toppers sort of inconsequential, but uh, a couple guys did that, and then um, and then we got a restart on I guess lap four. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, right away this this opening stint, Hurt is just letting it rip. He gets Pelot, he gets Hinchcliffe, and he gets Paginot. And so from turning fourteen, he's up to six before we even get to um, the first round of pit stops. Yeah, so looking really strong at that point. I was thinking that. Okay, Hurt has got a great chance to win this, even though it was that early, just how quick he made those spots. <laughs> also, Newgarden, though, in the lead, you know how tough he can be when he's hooked up, and he needed the win, plus some of the bonus points yep. for leading laps to get the championship, so we knew he was going to be tough to beat. Well, and that's the other thing. I mean, it's like he could, it wasn't necessarily surprising to move up, to see him move up that quickly that early, but then the closer you get to the front, the faster the guys are going to be. And so I figured even if he could get up to like third, fourth, fifth, even, you know, Dixon and Newgarden, those guys are no slouches and Newgarden's trying to win a championship. And so I figured that, you know, should her to get to the front, you know, getting by Newgarden would have been a pretty monumental task. So, yeah. But anyway, so, so what you're going to, what you're saying though, is if you were going to bet, you weren't going to bet on her so, right. It was, yeah. yeah. so it's a good, I good and plan it, to lay off. Yeah. And I just figured new garden starting on the pole. I thought he was going to be tough to beat Dixon's fast. And then you had these other guys like, 
you know, Grosjean started sixth, and I didn't know what to expect, but he doesn't often go backwards in these races. He likes to go forward. And, um, you know, so I figured, like, what if he's got the pace? Maybe he's just going to let it rip and get up to the front. And so, you know, I'd have to look at the starting grid and remind myself of who I was looking at as a possible contender. But I did not think it was going to be as easy as it wound up being for her to, to get to the front and stay there. So I did look um, at the odds. The early, guys, yeah, I looked at the odds early in the weekend, or maybe I can't remember if it was before the first session. But Grosjean was at 17 to 1 at that point. And I thought that was going to be, that would be a good bet. I just had a feeling he was going to have a good yeah. race. Cool. So then we get the yellow on lap 18 and 19, I believe. I don't know exactly what it is, but, you know, as it would turn out, Award did not come away unscathed from that incident. He got damage that I would assume just progressively got worse in those opening green flag laps. And then ultimately uh, the cameras found him slowing on the front straightaway. And so, you know, luckily he was able to get off of the racing line and into sort of the, um, exited the pits area, but not right in the direct path out. So race control was able to stay green and give everyone an opportunity to uh, come around and pit before they went full course yellow. And uh, so Herda, Erickson, Rossi, Bordet, VK, Johnson, Dixon, Newgarden, Pagano, Hinch, Pillow, all pit. But I think the real story is the guys who don't pit, particularly the front runners, the three of those guys being Castro Neves, Grosjean, who actually winds up pitting under the yellow, um, you know, a couple laps later, once they open the pits and Rosenquist, because I, I just, for the life of me, don't understand what they were looking for. I guess they were hoping for a yellow later on in the race at the right time or something. But if it's a tape, a straightforward two-stop race and you're in the window and you're at the front and the track is about to go yellow, you get in the pits and you make your stop because you're going to lose a ton of time if you get caught out after that. Yeah, but it, so from that point on, you need you need sixty five laps on two different stints. So you need you need thirty two and thirty three, and I just didn't think they could go that far personally, based on what I saw on on the um, lap chart from two years ago. So at that point, maybe they couldn't have. You know, they do end up getting another six seven laps of yellow before the end of the race. But I think that's what those guys were thinking before it went green. Dale Coyne must have realized that, hey, you know, this is stupid staying out right now. Let's 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 duck in. Or maybe there was something else because I couldn't believe that at the last second Grosjean would come in from second place and and yeah. top up and end up at the back of the field. You know, I thought at that point you sort of have to live with the decision. So maybe there was something else going on with the car that uh, we don't know about. Yeah, I think you're probably right that they just, they must have thought that they weren't going to make it without serious fuel state if they had come in that early. Otherwise, I don't know why they stay out. But, you know, when we restart after this, after this yellow, once they get Ward's car off the track, these guys need to go. They've got clean air and they just need to stretch the fuel as far as it will go and then make their stop. You know, I, I would imagine that's what they're thinking. But, you know, as it would happen, we wind up getting another yellow almost right away. And this actually helps Grosjean a ton because he had pitted under that yellow, given up all the track position. And now everybody except, as it would turn out, Cash and Evison Hall come in to make their first stop who hadn't under that first yellow. And so he gets to pass all those guys and essentially wind up like almost exactly where he was before the first yellow came out. Even though it was only two laps of green, it's a pretty interesting running order, though. You got Castro Nevis, Rosenquist, Sato's up to third, McLaughlin in fourth. Then you got Power running sixth, Kimball seventh, Daly eighth. So it was pretty cool. I mean, at that point, you know, it looked like it was going to be 
I don't know what those guys, what pace they were running, but I thought that was going to be an interesting, you know, 15 or 20 laps had that, had that yeah. stayed green. Um, unfortunately we went back to yellow because of, uh, what was it? Looks like Erickson. Yeah, this is where Erickson winds up in the wall. Yeah. He and, uh, Rossi are trying to beat each other to the first corner. And I think, uh, You know, he didn't look like he carried that much more speed into the corner than Rossi did. I think just turning in from where he did, he was at a shallower angle and and just couldn't quite get around. But I don't know. It was definitely a little, you know, surprising to see him make a mistake like that. It seemed almost like an unforced error because he didn't seem like he was forced offline in the braking zone or anything. No, I think it was Um, an unforced error. But I felt like Rossi sort of came in late, dove in there hard. And even though he wasn't even with Erickson... Um, he was he didn't back out of it, and I think Arison maybe checked the mirror, thought Rossi was going to maybe slide through the apex or something, and didn't turn in. You know, he didn't turn in mm-hmm. until it was too late, and then I don't know if he was in marbles or just you know whatever whatever happened to him. He ended up um, running right into the tires, but uh, yeah, and unforced, but um, an aggressive pass by Rossi that um, yeah. kind of made Erickson, um, I wouldn't say get the yips, but took his eye off the racing line for a second. Not a lot of room for, for error there. So anyway. Yep. So interestingly, Jack Harvey comes into the pits right before this yellow comes out. And um, I don't know if, I mean, they must have known that Erickson had just hit the wall and they were probably going to get a yellow, but he's, he's the only one that does this. Um, and I, he had stayed out under the first yellow. And so I guess he was probably just in the right place at the right time and his strategists were on it. And, you know, as soon as they saw whatever happened with Erickson, they called him in, which, you know, I can only imagine was like a matter of seconds between when they called him in and when he had to commit to, you know, turning into the uh, pit lane. This works out really well for him because everybody except Castro Nevis and Ray Hall, who stayed out under that first yellow, now come in. So he gets to cycle ahead of all of them. He started the race in 25th, and so after this happens, he's now up to 15th place. So, I, you know, I don't know exactly what happened there, if it was just blind luck, if they were in the pits for a different reason, or if they saw it and, and called him in at the last second, you know, and timed it right. That set him on a great trajectory for the rest of the race. You know, I'm looking here at the chart. I did not notice that, and I have him restarting uh, from the previous yellow all the way up in 11th. So maybe he had an incident, you know, maybe he spun and shuffled him to the back where he was able to dive into the pits while everybody else had already gone past pit in. I, I don't know. Um, but it did set him up well for the rest of the race. Yeah. So I believe everybody who didn't stop under the first yellow comes in except Castro Neves and Ray Hall who start one and two. I mean, truthfully, I was kind of laughing at this point. The announcers were too, because it seemed like They stayed out under the first yellow for whatever reason, probably thinking that they didn't have the fuel mileage to do the rest of the race on one stop. But then they're the only ones to stay out on this yellow. And it kind of seems like their strategy at this point is like, we have no idea what we're doing anymore. Let's just kind of wait and see what happens and do something different. Yeah. Yeah, So that was inexplicable. (laughs) That was inexplicable. Meyer Shanks had some, you know, hindsight's always 2020. It's easy, but in this case, (laughs) it looks sort of obvious. But I don't know. Maybe they had something up their sleeve. They tried a couple of things. I can remember Harvey at Road America trying to run. Yeah. I can't remember how many laps, but man, he tried to stretch a tanks forever. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they were thinking they were going to do a one-stopper. Who knows what they were thinking? But uh, yeah, he basically had to head to the pits 
I don't know, after five more laps of green after that. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, like five laps later, yeah. So, And Ray Hall did too. But at least know. Ray Hall, Ray Hall, again, sort of inexplicable, but he had topped up on lap three. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's yeah, kind of the same thing. Yeah, and he was at the back anyways. Yeah, no, you're right. It was, Castro Nevis was going from running legitimately in P3 to, you know, by staying out under these two yellows, the back of the lead lap and off the back of the pack you know, when he came in, Rahal was already at the back and, you know, not necessarily off the back, but he wasn't really losing anything by doing this. So it makes a little bit more sense for him. But that was another reason why I didn't bet on this race is I looked at Castro Nevis as another guy who had the speed to potentially win the thing. But Myra Shank and, and particularly when Castro Nevis has been in the car, when he's come back to do one-offs with Penske seems to be a guy who they just don't always make the right strategy calls. They go to three stops from a solid position when you really should be on two. And so, you know, I had a feeling that had nothing weird happen, he would stay up there, but there was a good chance at some point they were going to do something weird and wind up shuffling themselves to the back. And so I'm glad I didn't bet on him also, but it was a bummer to see that because he qualified well and he was, you know, he had the pace to stay there. It looked like. And so after that, he really could never recover. The few races he's run this year for Meyer Shank, um, well, he won the 500, which was unbelievable. But then I think at the yeah. Indy Road course, you know, once he got back in some of that back of the field traffic, he hasn't, you know, had didn't show that he could make passes in that car for whatever reason. So he was stuck back there and never recovered. I mean, he was the last guy on the lead lap at the end of the race. So and behind Kellett, you know, behind Kimball, behind Jimmy Johnson. So mm-hmm. even though they, they, <laughs> Gaffed, you know, on the strategy there, I would have thought being third fastest on the grid, he would have made some of that back up, but it just didn't happen. Then for the narrative of the race, so Castroneves stays out under those two yellows. Grosjean stays out. He misses, you know, the sort of deadline to come in before they throw a full course yellow when he gets his pass by pit entry, but he does come in under the first and gets cycled behind everybody. So that's two more spots that Herta makes up just kind of by people going off sequence. And so when we get to the restart on lap 31, he's on red tires behind, he's in third place behind Newgarden and Dixon, who are both on blacks. And, you know, he's already shown that he's outright fast and he's on the faster tires for the beginning of the stint. Unsurprisingly, he gets both of them in two laps and just lets it rip. You know, he drives off into the distance very shortly after that. Yeah. Also at this time, yeah, he, he did stretch it out. Also at this time, you had Hinchcliffe hanging tough in fourth place. Yeah. Um, and I think this is where um, this is where the train started to form behind Polo with, with like you said, uh, Paginot, Rossi, then Grosjean, yeah. then Bourdais, and then VK. So he had a bunch of you know hot, yeah, uh, I don't know, you know, guys that were <laughs> are generally pretty aggressive and um, and don't have a lot to lose at that point, breathing down his neck. So he was probably conserving, you know, not wanting to get around Hinch, but was probably you know, kind of worried about what was happening in his mirrors. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we settle into this nice green flag run, which brings us, uh, you know, to green flag stops for the second stops. But um, that was a pretty major moment in this where Hinch was really backing up that train and Pelot was second in line in the train with a bunch of hungry guys behind him. You know, that had to be pretty nerve wracking. Meanwhile, Hurtis pulls out to like a 10 second lead before they stop. So he's just on rails. He was on the faster tire, though, while everybody else was on blacks. And so, truthfully, at that point, 
even though he had the lead and he had a 10 second margin, I kind of figured that when everybody went back to reds and he went to blacks for the last stint, then he was going to have to, you know, everybody was going to come back to him, whether they get a yellow flag to bunch them up or not. But uh, yeah. And then also on this stint, actually a ward gets back in the race on lap 53. I don't know how long he stays out there and keeps running around, but they got him fixed. And I think they were probably just trying to salvage, like, um, you know, he entered the, the, the race and second in the championship. And so they were probably trying to keep him there as close to there as possible. Yeah. And also of note, Bourdais establishes him, himself solid in the top 10 running in ninth after that early first lap spin where he's relegated to the back of the mm-hmm. field. So through pit stops and a couple on track passes, he ends up back in the top 10 and looking pretty solid. Yeah. So that, that, uh, that stint runs fast, pretty much incident clean. We get to the second pit window. So basically, if you split, so if everybody came in on about lap 20, it's an 85-lap race. They're going to do the race on one more stop, which is what they were all trying to do. You split it in half, and everybody's basically trying to do, you know, whatever they can to get to lap 53. And that's actually when the exactly when the first guys come in, which is Pagano and Power at the end of lap 53, to open up the second pit window, which is... You know, it's not a big wide window because everybody's, you know, really stretching their fuel, but there's still about three laps in there to try to work the overcut or undercut, depending on the tires you're on and where you are in traffic and stuff like that. Earlier in that stint, though, I wanted to mention that Grosjean on black tires made that super aggressive pass on Rossi, a little wheel banging in between, what do they call those turns over there by the fountain, that that was pretty intense and was able to pull it off. You know, I thought he was going to be a force at the end because, uh, you know, looking strong on blacks in the middle stint was going to set him up. Well, um, yep. you know, after this stop, this round of stops that you're talking about, but yeah. Um, I think it's not long after that. I think it's probably right after he stops that he brushes the wall and then winds up dropping out of the race. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he was, he, he was in that train and he was towards the front of it and moving upwards. And so he did kind of look like he was going to be a force for, you know, I don't know if anybody was was really going to catch Herda, but he was definitely looking like a, a potential podium finisher at that point. Yep. So, the, yeah, so we get to the second round of stops. And um, I think the most, the, the most notable thing here is this is basically where James Hinchcliffe's race unfolds. The entire race up to this point, he's backing up the train, but he's still got the track position. So he's, he's hanging tough. He qualified probably about as well as he has all year. He's doing a good job to hold on. And so interestingly, he and Pelot pit on the same lap and they come out of the pits next to each other. They're side by side at pit out. Pelot has the nose, so Hinchcliffe gives him the spot. But I mean, literally, they were within yards of each other when they come out of the pits. So he loses out to Pelot on pit exit, but at this point, that's only one stop. Later in the lap, Pagano undercuts him on hot tires. It's not really a true undercut. He has to make the pass on track in the found section, but he does it. But then while he's, he kind of goes offline to block and he's still on cold tires, Rossi, Bourdais, and Power all rip by him. Then after that, Sato, Jones, and Harvey all beat him out of the pits. I think because he, you know, he had a slow outlap on the cold tires and he was trying to fend off. I think that slowed him down even more. But then McLaughlin also gets him on track. Rosenquist also beats him out of the pits in an, in an undercut or in an overcut, I guess. And I think Harvey beats him out of the pits as well. So he goes from, um, let me see where I have this. 
he he basically comes out of the pits literally physically next to Alex Pillow. They leave the pit side by side. Three or four laps later, he's ten spots behind Pillow. And I mean, it's just amazing. It could have gone. You know, you just wonder if like, what if Pillow had come out half a second back? Would the same thing have happened to him all of a sudden? Yeah, I kind of felt bad for Hinch at that that moment. You know, his last race. Uh, I think it's it's definitely his last race with Andretti, correct? Yeah, and, yeah, and, you I know, think so. Yeah, and showing really well. I mean, he was the second Andretti in in the running order behind Herta and looking really good. And just like that, boom, loses about ten spots. <laughs> just a matter of laps, the whole thing kind of unraveled for him. But I just think the juxtaposition between you know being physically side by side with Pillow and then 10 spots behind him four laps later is pretty remarkable. I I had thought that Pillow had gotten around him on track before that round of stops. I guess not. He just squeezed, squeezed by him at pit exit. Ends up being a big move, right? If he would have tucked in behind, who knows what would have happened to Pillow's race. He would have still been the champ. Mm -hmm. You know, he might've been stuck back there in a little bit of crazier traffic rather than running his own race up in fourth place. Yeah, he probably would have gotten, you know, I mean, Pagino would have come up behind him on cold tires and he would have had to fend off or let him go. And then he would have still been trapped behind Hinch and would have either had to force a move on track or just kind of ride it out. But, you know, way further in the back than he wants to be to um, hold on to his championship lead. So that's it's really too bad for Hinch because, you know, I think we all, the whole IndyCar fan base, I'm sure, wanted to see him stay up there and finish well. And it really un- unraveled it, you know, an entire race unraveled in a pretty short amount of time. You know, to his credit, he qualified well and he ran well at the beginning and everything. So try to look at the positives, I guess. But we had another yellow after that, the last yellow of the race. And um, luckily it's after everybody had stopped. Well, almost everybody. Ray Hall, who, you know, stayed out under the two yellows and topped up. It's the only one who hadn't stopped yet. But pretty much the entire field had stopped at this point. But this is on lap 62 where Daly kind of pinches Askew in the break zone a little bit. I forget what the corner is, but it's where they're coming to that last section before the um, uh, the hairpin. And so they both come into turn nine at a, at a very shallow angle, and neither of them make the corner. <laughs> Askew winds up in the wall, and Daly winds up in the runoff. Um, yeah. Askew just ends up at the back of the pack and qualifies. Actually, didn't have any good sessions. I looked at his practice sessions and he was back in um, mid twenties all along. So not sure why this track didn't suit him. Uh, I know it's his first time in an Indy car at the track, been there before in the lights and stuff, but just had a tough time getting, just didn't get a handle on it this weekend and ends up in the barrier. Yeah. So like I said, Ray Hall is the only one who hasn't stopped at this point. So he pits and, restarts at the tail end of the lead lap. But, you know, that's about where he was before the yellow flag came out anyway. So, you know, if anything, it probably helped him. The yellow helped him catch up to the back of the pack. I don't know exactly where he was because I was watching on TV so I can see the gap live. But, yeah. but you know. Well, then we get the restart on lap 65, and that sets up the 20-lap run to the finish. Yeah, this reminded me of uh, a lot of St. Pete. Herta having to, having to re- you know, on black tires, needing to, to uh, have a successful restart and fend off. New Garden. I think it was, was it New Garden at St. Pete also who got the two restarts right behind. Anyway, um, uh, I think it was, but I may be wrong. Either way, Herta restarting on black tires late in a street circuit with everybody else behind him on reds and he pulled it off. So. Yeah, no, you're right. It was, it was New Garden. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, 
So when he got the lead on the second stint, he pulled out to like a 10 second lead probably. You know, this time being on the black tires, he wasn't really able to extend his lead, but it's like in this case, offense is the best defense. You just focus forward and put in your best laps and that makes it, you know, if you don't make any real mistakes, it makes it difficult for people to pass you. And I think that just combined with the outright pace he had sort of negated the um, negative effect of being on the, the harder black tires. And so, you know, Newgarden gives him a good run, but Herders just seems like the undisputed king of road courses this year. Dominant in Nashville, won in St. Pete in a similar manner. And now he comes out and he doesn't have a great qualifying session, but it's otherwise dominant on the weekend, leading every practice session, getting to the lead of the race, you know, I don't remember exactly, but probably even before we reached halfway and then, uh, yeah, and then running away with it. Yeah, I think when you say road courses, I think you mean street circuits in particular, right? Where he definitely dominated and leaving his teammates pretty much in the dust. So, um, you know, again, I was talking about how it's frustrating on on TV. They're talking about who's got the best car and Herta has the best car and stuff like that. I don't know that that's true. I think he's just so hooked up on these street circuits. And um, yeah. yeah, you said it. He's kind of the undisputed king right now. Yep. So then otherwise on this 20 lap, uh, this last 20 lap stint, Power and McLaughlin go, both get by Jones for 10th and 11th. So Jones winds up slipping from 10th to 12th. Really not, towards the front at least, there's really not a whole lot of, actually I don't think there's any position change other than that, but the TV cameras didn't really get it, but it looked like there was a pretty good fight going on at the back. If you look at the lap chart, Chilton, Rahal, and Johnson all get Kimball and Kellett. And Rahal and Johnson also get by Castro Neves. So Kimball, Kellett, and Castro wind up the last three on the lead lap. Chilton goes 17th to 15th. Rahal goes from 21st to 16th. And Johnson moves up 20th to 17th on, on this last little stint. Yeah, well, that all pretty much happens in the last lap for Kimball because I have him climbing up uh, a couple spots, actually, in this last stint, getting around. Well, at least he gets around Hinchcliffe about halfway through the this, this, this stint. Goes into lap 84, uh, or completes lap 84 and 14th, and somehow comes out of lap 85 back in 18th. So something happened on that last lap that um, yeah shuffled him back. But yeah, he was you know looking pretty good. I'm sure he's hoping to get back in the car next year, especially since Bourdais talking about running just an abbreviated season. But yeah, not a lot happening near the front. But again, the back must have been all kinds of all kinds of mayhem back there. But Jimmy finishing again on the lead lap ahead of a few guys. Yeah, I mean, he's really come a long way since the first couple races of the year where he couldn't even, you know, he struggled to finish without going off track at some point in the race. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so next cool year, as well. I hope he's back. I think he is. I don't know if there's been an announcement. I'm sure he's going to be back next year. I, I don't know that his fortunes are going to change a lot on road courses and street circuits. I just feel, I just got a feeling that it's. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think he's going to continue to improve, but I mean, we're talking about these small improvements, you know, just beating one or two guys, three or four guys, not really getting a sniff of the top 10 or even close. But if he runs the oval races, that could really change things. You know, it'll be really interesting to see what he does on the ovals next year. And I I hope he puts puts that program together. I know he's talking about it and not committed, but is going to do, I think he's already done, a test at Texas um, that he's very familiar with, obviously with the stock cars. He's going to run Indianapolis in a test and then make a decision. So definitely made some improvements, but um, I think he's going to, if he's going to shine in this series at all, it's going to be on the ovals. I just don't, I just don't think he's ever yeah. going to get to the front on these road and street circuits. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, his pace has improved. I think his consistency has improved. He's not going off track, and he's also not just riding around. He's fighting the guys around him. You know, if he comes back for another season, you know, we've already seen like at the Indianapolis road course where he got a couple shots at it this year that the second time through he was, you know, he showed really well. And so I could see him moving up a little bit in the order if he comes back for a full season next year. But his competition is people who have been in open wheel racing their pretty much their whole life. And, uh, you know, there, there also are a lot of young, fast guys in this series. So, you know, for a guy his age, it's like, how far can you really expect him to move up the order in the first place? Yeah, I think IndyCar and Formula One, both premier open wheel series are definitely becoming a young man's game. I mean, there's still some very good drivers that are, that are getting up there and uh, Dixon can, you know, proves that out. But in general, this is a very young man's game and Jimmy Johnson's coming into it. I think he's 45 years old. So if he's going to, if he's going to improve on road courses, he's got to be doing it really quick at the beginning of next year. Uh, because I don't know how many more years of that there could be. Maybe he'll run the 500. I don't know. Maybe he'll, he could run Indy for another four or five years at least. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, so I just looked just now, actually. So Newgarden, who's like an established veteran in this series, is only 30 years old. So Johnson is, is 15 years his superior. You know, it just kind of goes, goes to show that it is a young man's game, like you're saying. And But, yeah, I mean, you know, when we did our episode for the Indy 500, we talked about how that's a track that tends to to reward the more experienced older drivers and, and uh, you know, calmer hands and patience and everything like that. So, yeah, you put them on an oval, you never know. And I hope that, you know, I think the speed and, and the risk factor for a guy, you know, who's has one of the most established racing careers in the United States ever. He's a seven time cup series champion and uh, you know, he's got a family and kids and everything It's a fair deterrence, but I would hope that, you know, with Iowa back on the calendar, probably a a slower, you know, tighter, less risky oval. um, I hope that at least he does something like that next year. Gateway as well comes to mind. No, I think you will. I think just getting familiar with the cars and and all the safety features and and just I think familiarity is is going to go a long way toward him getting comfortable and getting his family comfortable with him being on ovals. But we will see. All right. So, yeah, should we go through the finishing order then? Yeah, I mean, at this point, obviously they crossed the finish line. Hurt is ecstatic. Palo is ecstatic. I did not watch any of the post race celebrations, but. Yeah. Um, at this point, the season's over. It's a it's pretty big deal, especially for Polo. But yeah, let's let's go ahead and run down the 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 final standings of the race. Yeah. So, well, I think we've talked extensively about her. I don't know if you have anything to add. Otherwise, go to Dixon and Newgarden. Or sorry, Newgarden and Dixon in that order. I thought Newgarden was going to be tough to beat, and uh, I was a little surprised at how quickly at how easily Herta seemed to beat him. Although he did kind of harass her to nicely at the end, but, um, you know, the, he, he did everything he did. He, he really put up a strong title fight at the end of the year and everything. And he, uh, did just about everything he could in this race to get second place. And then Dixon with a strong third as well, kind of a quiet, strong third. I don't have a ton to say about those guys. Well, back to the pat the, the, the passes on back to back laps after that early restart. Herta was on reds. Those guys were both on blacks. Yeah. Um, Herta got him up to race temperature quicker and just, you know, being the master on the street circuit just kind of made it look easy. 
Um, the flip side of that is when, when at the end of the race on the restart, when he was on blacks, we already talked about it, he was able to fend off. But Newgarden and Dixon, both really good races. Newgarden pretty much did almost you know everything he had to do. It needed to win the race, obviously, but it wouldn't have mattered. Um, you got Polo in fourth right there with you know plenty of cushion, winning the championship easily, <laughs> doing just running an incredible race. I mean, getting hit from behind, getting pushed into the car in front of him on the first end of the first lap, keeping his cool, making it look kind of easy. <laughs> very, very impressive from Palau. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't think we need to spend too much time on it either because I think that's pretty apparent to anybody who's watched IndyCar this season. Yeah. Nothing flashy in this race, just like any other race weekend. He qualifies well, finishes better, you know, lets everybody around him makes mistakes, keeps the pace gets the strategy right. So he goes up six spots from where he started. And then Pagano finished in fifth, one spot behind. I kind of expected him to contend a little bit more. I thought he would be, I almost put a couple dollars on him to finish on the podium just because he, he showed well at St. Petersburg. I think he, he got a podium in St. Petersburg actually, which is similar course to this one. But he, he started the race. He was the only one at the front to start the race on black tires. And so he lost some of those positions early. And then I think uh, it's just once you're back there, it's tough to make them back up. Yeah, and I want to give him props for the easiest way to put it is he could have ruined, easily ruined Pelot's race. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's behind him a lot of the race. And it, how easy is it just to cook the brakes on and run into the back of somebody? And I, you know, I don't think they do that kind of stuff in IndyCar, but it was his, t- you know, his, his teammate, his new garden, who was running up near the front. And I mean, it's happened before many times in open wheel racing. So anyway, I just want to give him props for running a clean race, not pushing on Polo too hard, doing anything stupid. And, um, you know, finishing off his, his Penske career in, in pretty high style and with class. And he's, he's moving on to uh, Meyer Shank next year. I just read that. So, yeah. so a pretty solid finish there for, for Paginot. So Rossi finishes sixth. That's nine spots ahead of where he started. You know, he was on the standard strategy, pitting right before the first yellow came out and then making his stop, his second stop on lap 54, just about a lap before the window opened. And yeah, it was a steady drive. You know, a couple of years ago, it was like he dominated two of these things in a row. So I don't know if he still comes into Long Beach thinking that, you know, putting the pressure on himself to have that kind of performance, but given everything that's happened to him this year, I think it's steady drive from, uh, from, let's see, what is that? From 15th to 6th place is a good way to finish it off. Yeah, I would say definitely a good way to finish it off. But Rossi had higher uh, higher aspirations this year. Uh, he wanted to be the champ. I mean, everybody wants to be the champ. But going into the season, I would have put him as maybe, I have to go back and listen to what we said, but he was probably one of the favorites for sure. And Yeah. And, um it was his last chance to get a win this year and uh, wasn't really wasn't really close. But you're right, steady drive, moved up nine spots, kept it clean. Yep. So then we get to Jack Harvey in seventh, who uh, that's 18 spots of where he, st- where he started, and we already talked about it. But the majority of that was made up on, you know, when he pitted right before that second yellow came out. Again, I don't know if, if they just were the only ones that saw Erickson go off and called him in right away or what, but whatever it was, they nailed it. And that got him to P15. You know, even from there, that's he finished, what is that, another eight spots ahead of where he restarted after that. So, yeah, he, you know, he, he, he benefited a lot from that, but I think he did a lot of it himself also afterwards to get up to seventh. 
and um, and he stayed there all race. So it's pretty solid. Well, very solid. Yeah, you know he looked good last year, but this year he's just been early in the season. We we called him our most consistent front runner. Fell off a little bit later in these in the West Coast swing, but he's he was solid. Had a great year. Ran up near the front a lot. Could have won yep. the race at um, the first Indy Grand Prix, Grand Prix. The VK yeah. run. Uh, in fact, he was on the same strategy as VK, but ahead of him when I forget what the yep. issue was that took him out. But yeah, he's good, and um, he could be a contender yeah. next year. I sort of forget where he's going, but um, we'll have another. We'll have another. Yeah, we'll have to have another um, podcast here in the next couple of weeks. Once the, uh, maybe even another month or so once the lineup starts to come into focus. So then Bordet finishes eighth and you know, he was dead last on after the first lap. He was the reason that the yellow came out because he was stalled at the hairpin, you know, similar to Harvey, well, sort of similar to Harvey. He went from 20th to 11th by pitting under the first yellow and letting a lot of those other back markers around him um, stay out. And then, so when they all came in under the second yellow, he got to pass all of them while they were in the pits. So that got to him 11th and then, or got him up to 11th. And then like Harvey, he had to make up the rest of the spots pretty much on his own and winds up in eighth, 14 spots of, ahead of where he started. You know, we really didn't get a whole lot of TV coverage or anything, but that's a great drive. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Kumasato then in ninth place up from 16th. You mentioned his, his nice move at the start to gain six spots. From yeah. there, he was just pretty steady, right? He was intent at that point. I didn't see a whole yeah. lot of different event, but... Well, so he he stayed out under the first yellow and pitted under the second. So he wound up losing a fairly significant amount of track position there. I think he restarted 17th after that yellow and probably had to make up the spots on track after that. I think Powell and McLaughlin also stayed out under the first yellow and pitted under the second. They would wind up behind him in 10th and 11th. But it was um, probably a little less you know, straightforward than the timesheet show. I think they had to claw some of those positions back in the second half of the race. Ed Jones finishes in 12th after uh, making a few people mad on the first lap and, and getting penalized. <laughs> yeah. Didn't see exactly how he did that. I think he stopped along with those early stoppers on uh, before lap 20. Um, Let's yeah. No, he did not. He waited stop for, summary real quick. Yeah, he didn't stop till lap 27 on the second yellow. So again... Um, he made a lot of those positions on track. Well, okay. Actually, if you look at the pit stop summary, he came in on lap 23. So he sort of did what Grosjean did. He stayed out initially and then came in under the yellow. Okay. Yep. I see it now. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, he made a lot of people mad on the first, on the opening lap. I mean, I don't know what to say about him because, you know, that car is not necessarily a front running car, but he's shown really good pace at flash, you know, at, at various points throughout the year but it doesn't seem to be consistent enough to hold on to top five, top seven wins, but sorry, not wins finishes. And then, yeah, I mean, this mistake isn't going to help him either, <laughs> but I don't know. He seems to kind of fly under the radar. You know, he doesn't get a lot of attention until he makes some silly mistake. And then suddenly everybody's after him. Yeah. Well, it, you know, he shows lack of pace and sorry, not lack of pace. He shows pace and all that. So it's not for lack of pace, I should say. No, I mean, being a team with Grosjean, maybe he has it in his head. You know, Grosjean's such an aggressive driver. I mean, even when he's on his own out there on the track, he's pitching, you know, launching it in there. And I couldn't believe some of the footage of him in, in practice and qualifying, you know, just how hard he drives the car. Maybe Jones just trying to keep up 
I wouldn't say gets over his head, but yeah, it just didn't quite get the same result as Grosjean in the in the team car, which is always kind of the you know that's that's the marker. How'd you do against your teammates? So, well, Rosenquist finishes thirteenth, which is eight spots tragically eight spots behind where he started. But you know, this is another team they dropped from fifth to sixteenth by not pitting when they had the opportunity under that first yellow. And then having to pit under the second and just claw back the positions in the second half of the race. And I looked like the best he could do was get up to 13th. Yeah, I think Rosenquist will be happy to put the season behind him. I mean, he had flashes where he looked good. In fact, at Detroit, I think right before he had that nasty crash, he was poised to have a really good finish, actually. I know it was early in the race, but in general, he struggled everywhere. And so um, I think he's, look, you know, happy to put this season behind him. Yeah. So Hinchcliffe finishes behind him in 14th and, uh, you know, his, his race really all fell apart in the three or four laps following his second stop, but he looked strong early. You know, I would guess he's a little disappointed that he wound up back there. On the other hand, Chilton, Max, go ahead. I was going to say Chilton up uh, 15th from 23rd. It looks like I uh, didn't see a lot of him on TV, but looked like he was in a lot of battles all day. And uh, generally, yeah, and he had to move up in the last stint, also. Yeah, and so um, generally came out ahead of all the guys that he was dicing it up with in back. And fifteenth, uh, pretty solid uh, out of a field of twenty-eight. So they're talking about yep. having a second car join the fray next year, which will go a long way to helping him with setups. And I mean, being a one-car team, and I don't think he's affiliated with any of the big teams in any way is tough. So bringing that second car in, hopefully will help Max get some better results next year. Yep. So then Ray Hall finishes 16th. He did the same thing as Castro Neves. Well, he topped up under the first yellow, which is a little different, the true first yellow, the opening lap yellow, but then, you know, didn't pit under both yellows that came during the uh, first round of stops. And then therefore had to make two of his stops under green when pretty much the entire rest of the field got to make at least one of them under yellow. And so he was at the back anyways. It didn't cost him as much as it did Castro Neves. You know, it's a little bit more worth going for. But I think 19th to 16th, you know, I didn't see qualifying. I don't know if, if uh, he was back there due to lack of pace or if something happened in qualifying to begin with. But, you know, we don't see him back there very often this season. And uh, the strategy they tried just absolutely did not work. And so, you know, all around, probably not the day they wanted to have to finish the season off. Yeah. So then... So Jimmy Johnson, so starts 27th, finishes 17th. I'm just looking at the the finishing times. He was less than a second behind Ray Hall at the end of this thing. And that's 20 laps of green. Um, he started, it looked like at the tail end of the lead lap, um, right behind Ray mm-hmm. Hall, I guess right in front of Ray Hall. Ray Hall jumps him. Ray Hall ends up moving up past Castro Nevis, um, past um, Kellett. And then, yeah, and then I guess he's stuck there. But my point is, Jimmy ends up working his way around those those same guys, too, at his own pace a couple laps later and ends up within a second of Ray Hall after that, that entire last 20-lap stint. So that kind of backs up what you were saying earlier, that he really did have a, a strong race and that he's mixing it up, going wheel-to-wheel with some guys who, you know, we know are good. Yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to um, seeing what he can do next year. Charlie Kimball finishes 18th. I think he's probably just pleased to be in the car at all because he's had to sit out every race other than uh, the Indy 500. You know, he was right there with the back of the grid. It 
we don't know what happened. It happened off camera, but he wound up losing a bunch of spots right at the end. I think three spots probably. Looks like he lost um, four. Yeah. Anyways, I, I think he's probably just pleased to get to race in IndyCar again. Teammate Dalton Kellett right behind him. You know, I don't know what to say about Kellett. Runs at the back. Um, he's in a Foyt car, which is sort of hard to gauge. I mean, Bourdais seems to do pretty well with it. It's such a fine line between between being up front and being at the back. I, I think that he belongs there. I don't know if he's going to stick it out. I bet you he comes back next year. Well, it's also a, a competitive series, and there's a lot of people that currently aren't but want to be IndyCar drivers. You know, a lot of people coming through the ladder system and then drivers abroad as well, like Formula One drivers are constantly, you know, once their career seems to run out over there, these guys kind of have a renewed interest in coming to IndyCar. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's back next year, but I think if he, it might not be a whole lot more seasons after that if the pace stays where it is. Well, it's a known fact Dalton Kellett's family brings money to the table. He could take that money and go IMSA racing. He could he could go in sports cars and, and probably be uh, a top dog. I mean, again, he's not far off and he's racing against the best in the world. So who knows what he'll do? I know he's going to continue racing. We'll see. Yeah, now very well put. So then Castro Neves is the last car to finish on the lead lap. And for winding up back there, I would have think that he would have been able to move up a little bit. But you know, as far as the gaps go, he had to make that... Um, he had to make his second stop under green. So when everybody else made, or sorry, his first stop under green, when everybody else got to make theirs under yellow. So he probably wound up quite a ways off the back of the pack after that. And then, you know, I would assume, I, I guess I should look a little bit closer to the lap chart, but I'm just kind of assuming that he was pretty much off the back for the entire stint until they got the last yellow. And then just wasn't able to go anywhere on that last, you know, after the last yellow on the 20 lap run. But, um, just that strategy, man. It was just like, we don't know what we're doing. We're just going to see what happens. And what happens was they got beat by everybody. Inexplicable. I mean, the guys on TV were just baffled. I thought there must have been, again, more to it. I thought that just the range um, on a, a tank of gas must have been, you know, I don't know. I was wrong. Um, yeah. But I just can't believe they missed missed the mark that by that much. And then again, like you, like you said, that he was unable to make any spots once he was stuck back there. So yeah. anyway, he was clearly frustrated in the morning warm up when he and Rossi had some sort of incident. He flamed up and let a bunch of f bombs and stuff go on TV. I guess, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Well, then that brings us to the uh, the guys that finished the race but were lapped down. So Daly had the contact with Askey. They had to pull him up, you know, out of the runoff. So he wound up twenty second, sorry, twenty first to lap down. Askey wound up in the tire barriers, so they. You know, I would I would assume they had to come in and fix his front wing, maybe some other damage once they pulled him out. Yeah, so he wound up two laps down in 22nd, and then Hunter Way with damage on lap one winds up in 23rd, I believe, also two laps down. Yeah, so Hunter Ray, there's a there's a significant point in this race. So he gets screwed on the first lap, has to come in, he's got some sort of damage, loses a lap. He stays out, obviously, trying to get his lap back through that first yellow, right? He's not going to pit. He's hoping to get a wave around, but a bunch of guys don't stop. Then there's another yellow. He's thinking, sweet, there's another yellow. I'm going to get my wave around after uh, Castro Nevis and Ray Hall pull over and pit. But no. They don't pit. They don't pit. And he's stuck. <laughs> he must have been going, you know, on TV, they were freaking out about the strategy. Think about sitting in Hunter Ray's cockpit going, what the hell are these guys doing? <laughs> 
you yeah. know, because he would if they would have pitted, he gets the point point by, and you know who knows, he might end up in a top ten. I mean, yeah, that's so a really good point. Uh, poor guy's last race in the Andretti car, and it had to go that way, and that was. Nobody said anything on TV about that. You know, we hadn't even mentioned his name really until just now. But man, that was a crazy little moment. And um, it was all around that goofy strategy that was, I mean, (laughs) obviously that would have been a break for him to get that second yellow. But the way that those guys played the whatever strategy they played, it it really killed Hunter Ray. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, good call. Um, well, that brings us to the DNF. Grosjean winds up in 24th. You know, he was running very, very well, but brushed the wall and, um, you know, had to drop out. And, he, you know, he was visibly disappointed. The cameras caught him on the pit wall looking pretty bummed. Um, but, you know, he he had a pretty good start to the race. He was there. He's in the fast six. Um, they botched the strategy by staying out under that first yellow, but pitted anyways um, when the pits opened. And then got the lucky break with the second yellow. So, you know, he looked like he was going to be good to go for the rest of this thing. And um, just uh, in the second pit cycle, rushes the wall and and uh, has to call it quits early. Yeah, so we've obviously talked a lot about Grosjean this season. I mean, he's been incredible. Been the best story in IndyCar really all year. Um, yeah. Even in my mind, even a bigger story than Castro Nevis getting the big win at Indy. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that was that was huge. I mean, he joined the four-time winners. But anyway, Grosjean, it's been a giant story around all the way around the world, really. He's, you know, super aggressive. I mean, it cost him in this race. He was going for a podium like he usually does. I mean, no holds barred. He's jumping Andretti next year. I mean, that's going to be really interesting. And we talked about Rossi, you know, setting the sights for next year. But man, it's not going to get any easier for Rossi. He's got Herta, and now he's going to have Grosjean as a teammate. I'm yep. not sure who the fourth's going to be, but yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a good team next year. And and um, interesting to see who kind of ends up on top. But um, yeah, that's a lot of fast, hungry guys. Yeah, it all is. on the same team for sure. And then right, right, I mean, he. I think IndyCar suits his driving style well. He's very aggressive, and we knew that watching him in Formula One. But um, you know, now he's in a spec series, so I think being aggressive can, you know, when the cars are much closer together, I think there's probably a little bit more reward to uh, a fairly high amount of risk. And and you know, we've talked about it a couple times now. They're great, durable cars, and so they can take a little bit of a beating. And um, it's just been, you know, like every race, he does something spectacular. It seems like. And I'm sure with, uh, you know, some attention from around the world, given his past in Formula One, and you're right. I mean, it's been amazing having him in this season. He's been such a pleasure to watch. And so being in an Andretti with some really fast teammates next year is going to make uh, for an interesting, um, yeah, it's going to make for an interesting year, I think. All right, let's go on down the order here. Renus VK, he's had a tough second half of the season, and we talked about, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or maybe just last week, how maybe the collarbone has had something to do with it. Uh, Maybe just Carpenter Racing, just unable to find the right setups. But, man, it's been night and day from the beginning of his season till the end of his season. So he's probably psyched to get this one behind him and start looking toward next year. He did end up you know, making some spots up in this race. I don't know if it was through pit strategy or what, but tough weekend for VK, tough West Coast swing for VK, really. That leads us down 26. Calum Eilat, hard hard to get a read. Yeah. You know, 
in the Juncos car that hasn't run in, in years, not get one car team, not getting any help from anybody on any of the other big teams, as far as I know. And it's just, there's just no way to tell for us to tell as fans what, what he's doing inside that car. But I got to say, I've been pretty impressed. I mean, the results don't show it, but at times when he's been putting in, uh, in positions in traffic or in front of people due to the pitch shuffle, he's, he's looked fine. So yeah, we'll see what that team can do next year. Yeah. This race is sort of microcosm of that. You know, we didn't really see a whole lot of him and then he pretty quietly dropped out of the race. They show him uh, finishing 47 laps, but on the lap chart, he goes a lap down sort of inexplicably on lap 33. So they were probably battling something, some sort of mechanical for a little while there. But I think that's very well put. Then in 27th is O'Ward, who just, you know, it's just a tough break to get hit like that. Through no fault of his own, he made a great start. He was aggressive, but he was clean, and it looked like he was going to be fighting for, um, you know, a strong finish. And, uh, it's a tough break. And, you know, I mean, I think, I think, uh, overall he's had, you know, he's shown some crazy exciting moments. He's been lightning fast. He just hasn't quite had the, you know, he seems like maybe more of, of an emotional driver to Pelot being more of like a calculated thinking man's driver. But I think our world's going to be fighting for championships in the next couple of years as well. So I would imagine that he's, he really worked hard this year had pace, didn't get the result sometimes due to uh, some strategy calls and stuff like that. But uh, I'm sure it's a pretty disappointing way to end it, you know, not really getting to have a real hard fight for the championship in the last race. And, you know, he even had Zach Brown, the CEO of McLaren there, who also had Lando Norris on the pole in Russia. And yet Zach chose to be in Long Beach for the IndyCar race, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that is a really good point. And so McLaren's definitely pouring a bunch of effort into this IndyCar thing. And they're they're all in. Aaron McLaren's adding a third car. So that team's going to get better. They've got two good drivers now. I forget who they're adding. And then uncharacter- uncharacteristically bringing up the rear, Marcus Erickson, who's been steady all year long. Obviously, yeah. a couple wins. I mean, he's had a great season. So whatever. You know, he was out of the title, the title run. Not 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 a big heartbreak probably for him at the end of this race. You yeah. know he's had a great season and looking forward to next year. Yeah, and uh, oh, I just want to say, uh, well, yeah, we'll be back. You know, doing a couple episodes in the off season. I'm sure we haven't really figured out exactly what we want to do yet. But just while you were talking about Erickson right there, I just kind of remembered when I look at the analytics we get for the podcast, we've had like two consistent listeners out in Sweden. And this is our first season ever doing this. And so to get any listenership, I think, uh, is really cool to see. And so to get people tuning in consistently from other countries, we've got, uh, you know, people tuning in consistently from the United Kingdom, from Germany, from Canada, from, uh, I think we get a listener from Portugal every now and then. And we get people, you know, more than I would have expected tuning in from all over the United States. And, uh, you know, we really didn't know what we were getting ourselves into when we started this. And the fear is obviously that you're going to put in all these hours of, of prep work and everything and that nobody's going to listen, but it's been, um, it's been great. Yeah. And so just everybody who's stuck with us this long or found us at some point this season and are still listening to this episode, just a shout out. Yeah. I mean, a handful of our listeners are, are go way back, best friends from, from way back when. And, and so, um, yeah, we really appreciate you guys sticking with us, and we're going to make the show better next year for sure. And we we will be back, and we'll be back in the off season cool. 
talk about uh, next year's lineup, next year's schedule, and a few other things. So I guess I should shout out, since we're talking, kind of addressing the listeners, I should shout out the Twitter page real quick. I'm trying to be more active. I think that's something I'm going to do more next season is step up our presence on social media. The name of the podcast, our fan podcast, we're at India underscore fans. Um, I'm starting to use to Twitter a little bit. I actually tweeted it. I, I addressed a couple drivers in one of my tweets after the Montreal episode was released, and Bordet responded to it. But um, if anybody's curious about, it, you know, we'll definitely be back next season doing our usual race rundown. But you know, if you're curious what we're doing in the off season, then I'll be, um, you know, tweeting when we're posting new episodes and stuff like that. All right. Sounds good. Adios, everybody from Long Beach, and uh, we'll leave you with this to close out the season. With so much drama in the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop Digo double G. But I somehow, some way, keep coming up with funky ass shit like every single day. May I kick a little something for the G's and make a few ends as I breeze through? Two in the morning and the party still jumping cause my mama ain't home. I got bitches in the living room getting it on and they ain't leaving till six in the morning. So what you wanna do? Shit, I got a pocket full of rubbers and my homeboys do too. So turn off the lights and close the door. But for what? We don't love them hoes. Yeah. So we gon' smoke an ounce to this. G's up, hoes down while you motherfuckers bounce to this. Lay back with my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Rolling down the street, smoking in now, sipping on gin and Lay back with my mind on my money and my money on my mind. I got me some sequins gin. Everybody got their cups, but they ain't chipped in. Now this type of shit happens all the time. You gotta get yours before I gotta get mine. Everything is fine when you're listening to the DOG. I got the cultivating music that be captivating me. Who listens to the words that I speak as I take me a drink to the middle of the street and get to Mac to this bitch named Shady. She used to be the homeboy's lady. 80 degrees when I tell that bitch, please raise up off these NUTs, cause you get none of these at ease. As I mob with the dog pound, feel the breeze. Biatch, I'm just rolling down the street, smoking in now, sipping on gin and gills. Laid back with my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Rolling down the street, smoking in now, sipping on gin and gills. Laid back with my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Later on that day, my homie Dr. Drake came through with a gang of tangle ray. And a fat ass Jake of some bubonic chronic that made me choke. Shit, this ain't no joke. I had to back up off a bit and sit my cup down. Tango Ray and chronic, yeah, I'm fucked up now. But it ain't no stopping, I'm still popping. Dre got some bitches from the city of Compton to serve me. Not with a cherry on top. Cause when I bust my nut, I'm raising the box to cock. Don't get upset, girl, that's just how it goes. I don't love you hoes, I'm out the dough. And I'll be rolling down the street, smoking Lay back with my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Rolling down the street, smoking.